Welcome to another Dulos Deliberation. My name is Levi Bimba, and today we are going to talk about the top 10 reasons why millennials are not remaining within the Christian faith. Now, obviously speaking, I think if you study the scriptures regarding salvation, I think if anybody who is truly saved will endure to the end. I think anybody who is in Christ, that Christ will never let them go. I think that those scriptures are are pretty clear. But there was an article written by Alex McFarland, Dr. Alex McFarland, who is a uh, Christian apologist, evangelist. And he wrote an article back in 2015 uh, on foxnews.com saying 10 reasons millennials are backing away from God and Christianity. So I think when you see articles like this or hear about people leaving the, the faith, I think we have to keep in mind that the Bible is pretty clear on those who reject God or reject Christ. First John 2, verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So I think, as First John 19 says pretty clearly, if you are truly saved, if you are truly in the faith, you will remain. Because, but if you're not truly in the faith, then you will, uh, you will leave the faith at some point. And of course, there's those who are just self-deceived into thinking that they are a part of the faith, and then they ultimately will leave when Christ bids them away into the uh, fires of hell. But as far as here on earth, the reason why people leave ultimately is that they never truly were saved. They never truly were in the faith. And I, and I know I've heard testimonies of people that truly believe that they were saved, but they ended up leaving and now they're, they're pagan today and, and they have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with, uh, with the Bible and, and in submission to it and submission to Christ as Lord. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible is clear. If you are truly in, in Christ, if you truly have a love for God, you will not depart from the faith. You will stay and endure until the end. You will persevere. You will make your calling and election sure. Uh, and you will never abandon Christ because Christ will never abandon his sheep, his people that he died for. So we have to keep that in mind before we get into these 10 reasons. But let's start to look at the 10 reasons that Dr. Alex McFarlane gave as to why certain uh, millennials especially have left the church. And he says this is based on his most recent research, which includes dozens of interviews with teens, 20-somethings, professed ex-Christians. There again is a term that I don't think is true, scripturally speaking. And religion and culture experts points to factors like these. So this is what, these are the top 10 factors that his research pointed to regarding why people end up leaving the faith. Number one, it says, mindset of digital natives is very much separate from other generations. Millennials are eclectic on all fronts, economically, spiritually, artistically. There is little or no, quote, brand loyalty in most areas of life. That's reason number one he gave, that people, millennials especially, have no uh, brand loyalty. Now, again, we can't equate Christ to a certain brand. Now, I think especially growing up in America where there is a strong Christian influence, though that is vastly decaying as we see before our eyes. But we have to remember that Christ isn't a brand. He's not a cultural 
uh, icon. He is he's the Lord and Savior. He is the he's the Son of God. He is the uh, the Creator of all and the Lord of all. And so to say that well, the top reason why millennials are not remaining Christians because they're just not loyal to brands anymore anyway is just really devaluing the 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 authority and the person of who Jesus is. He's God manifest in the flesh, truly God, truly man, died on the cross uh, for the sins of all those who believe. So he's not some brand that you can take or leave. He, he either accept him and, and uh, receive him as Lord over your life here, or you bow to him before you are thrown into the lakes of fire and into the lake of fire. He's not, he's not just some brand like Coca-Cola or Pepsi that, Hey, you know, I kind of like Coke, but I don't like Pepsi or vice versa. That's not the issue here. Number two that he gives for why millennials are leaving the faith is he says breakdown of the family. And I think he has a good point here because I think regardless of who you are, does, I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible to not be impacted by your parents, whether that's in a good way or a bad way. If you have a, like, for example, my parents, they were very heavily teaching us the Bible and, and, and telling us to read it and to pray and to, and to not be engaged in, in frivolous things like video games and things like that, which I'm very thankful for because of the older I got and I got saved and I understood the value of the Word of God and knowing the Word of God. I think they were 100% correct in saying, don't spend your time in video games and all these things that don't profit you in the long haul. You should be spending your time in the Word of God and knowing that. And I think they were being obedient to that task. In Deuteronomy 6, where God tells the uh, Israelites that the that they need to teach their children diligently the precepts, his laws, his precepts, teach them about him and whatever they do and whatever they do, whether they're walking, whether they're lying down, whether they're sitting, whether they're going about their business, everything that they do, they should be pointing their children to the law of God so that they can know God. So I think if you have a family that breaks down, especially when there's no father involved, and you see the, the influence of a father is, is strong, whether we like it or not, that's how God made it. And to not have a father who leads in the spiritual things of the family, it does have a detrimental, deleterious effect on people and then broadly in society. I remember one pastor saying there are no delinquent children, only delinquent parents. And to an extent, that's true. But we have to remember that we are all born into sin. Psalm 58.3 mentions this, and it says that uh, the wicked are, uh, are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So there's no such thing as an quote-unquote uh, neutral child. No child comes to the world neutral. They just... Either they're going to end up good or bad, depending on how well their parents treat them. That's not, that's not true. According to the Bible, every single baby born in the world today and for all of history has a deep defect within them that is full of evil. We're all, by nature, evil. So we can't pretend that um, their looks or their cuteness uh, keeps them from having a sin nature. They, they, they are born with sin and, and they are under uh, the curse of sin because of the uh, Adamic nature that is in them. And of course, they come from their parents who are also sinful. So the breakdown of the family definitely, I would say, does play a major role. Not that ultimately your family is the, is the crux of whether or not you're saved, but I think it does have a strong influence as, as to whether or not you'll uh, know God and be taught spiritual truth. 
So number three reason he gives is militant secularism. And he, he says uh, under this reason, he says the only true truths are claims that are divorced from any supernatural context and impose no moral obligations on human behavior. And I think that's exactly true that we, we kind of, I guess even some Christians can tend to think that the world isn't as bad as really what it is when Jesus calls them, you know, when Jesus says that they are of their father, the devil, and the lust of their, of their father, they will do. We have to remember that those, anybody who is not in Christ, regardless of how nice they are, how, how uh, intelligent they are, how sweet they are, how uh, affable they are, regardless of all those nice, wonderful qualities, if they are not in Christ, they are damned. They are under the curse of God. And I think we can get deluded into thinking, even, again, even as Christians, as nice as people may seem, if they have not come to repent and trust in Christ, they are of their father, the devil. And I know that's stark to say that, but that's how all of us are in our natural state. We are children of wrath. We are children uh, and enemies of God uh, through our wicked works. So it's not that Christians are better than unbelievers. It's the fact that we are just saved people. We're just not that we're special. It's just that uh, the, God has you know, given, shown grace and given us faith to believe in Christ. So we have no reason to boast. We have no reason to think that we're better because, once again, we were in that state ourselves. And it's only that by God's pure grace and mercy that he saves those that he saves. So the world is against, uh, against us. Even First John 2.15, it talks about how we, are, we ought to not love the world. And John gives this warning. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you don't have the love of God in you if you love the world. Reason number four, he gives uh, Alex Dr. Alex McFarland. He says, Lack of spiritual authenticity among adults. Many youth have had no or very limited exposure to adult role models who know what they believe, why they believe it, and are committed to a consistent to consistently living it out. And I think that's extremely important as well. When you don't, when you claim to be a Christian, but you don't live like it, I think that has a very bad effect on those who are under your care and those who are looking up to you. Um, Paul told Timothy, he says, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And if you think about it, there's no way the Christian faith could have survived without, um, or really any movement survives without those who take what they've learned from the first group of people and pass it on down to the next generation. So if you don't have anybody within your cultural uh, group who is actually living these truths out and knows why they believe what they believe and why they believe it and can articulate it, and more importantly, I think, live it out, then you're going to have children who see the hypocrisy of their parents and think this is a false faith and I want nothing to do with it. Because even though we are by nature children of wrath and we have, um, we're enemies of God, we still have that image of God in us where we, uh, we don't like hypocrisy. Nobody in the world, I think, even likes hypocrisy. Nobody likes to be lied to. Even though the world is full of lies, full of deceit, even the old adage, there's no honor among thieves, is true because no thief likes to be stolen from. Because <laughs> it's just that uh, I think that inner uh, image of God within all of us that has that at least kind of uh, 
an inkling of morality and, and truth and righteousness and justice. Reason number five that he gives, he says, the church's cultural influence has diminished. And I, I could see this one going both ways because in one one respect, the church should have some form of influence on the culture around them regarding righteousness, regarding preaching the gospel, regarding um, holiness and, and biblical fidelity. And I think that's true, but I think some can contort this and, and start to capitulate and compromise with the world to try to gain that influence. And we have to re be reminded by Paul, and he, as he says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world. Uh, Romans 12, 2, he says, and be not, uh, says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the world's standards. Don't try to ameliorate or tone down your speech regarding truth and, and holiness and righteousness to try to appeal to the world like, as if you are like them. When God calls us to be distinct from the world, Paul says, don't be conformed. The world is constantly trying to conform us to their image, and we're supposed to be fighting against that, using the, using, uh, the truth of God as we take it and consume it and think about it and think on it and meditate it and meditate on it and obey it. And so he says we need to be transformed by the renewing, by the renewing of our minds so we can prove and so we can uh, prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God for, for us and for all. Reason number six uh, Dr. Alex McFarlane gives is that pervasive cultural abandonment of morality. The idea of, a, of, a, of objective moral truth, ethical norms that are really binding on all people, is unknown to most and is rejected by the rest. And I think that is so true. I think the devilish doctrine of postmodernism really is afoot. I looked up a definition and there's there's different definitions of it, but regarding um, one I found from some uh, people that wrote a, a paper for an international university, they define postmodernism as this. Born under Western secular condition, postmodernism is born under Western secular conditions and it has the following characteristics. It emphasizes plural, pluralism and relativism and rejects any certain belief in absolute value. It conflicts with, with essentialism and considers human identity to be a social construct. It rejects the idea that values are based on developmental realities and also rejects the, the essential influence of human actions on human destiny. And boy, are we seeing that today where people cannot even tell you the difference between men and women, or they're even telling you that men can get pregnant and uh, men can have periods. And we're telling children that, you know, if you feel like you're the opposite gender, or if you're a boy and you feel like a girl, then you're probably a girl and vice versa. If you feel like a girl, or you, if you feel like a, if, if you feel like a girl, you're a boy, you know, then just go do, you know, we'll give you these drugs. We'll tell you to chop off your genitalia and, you can go be your um, go be the, your true self because you know ma male and female those are just social constructs. Even though God is the one who ordained the male and female distinction and created it, and put that right there in the beginning in Genesis one, but the the uh, the postmodernism belief and the deception that the devil has used to uh, to poison the minds of all people, not just millennials, but all people that say, hey, this is just what I feel. It's my truth. 
Uh, I don't want to hear any criticism for my truth. Just let me be me and I'll let you do you. That's, that's not the, the way. The way, there is an objective way. There is an objective truth. And truth by definition is objective because it doesn't matter how you see it or what you think about it. It's, it's true. And the rejection of that really has poisoned the minds of young people especially. But all, I think all people come into the world not wanting to be judged by anyone. Reason number seven, intellectual skepticism. He says that uh, college students are encouraged to accept platitudes like life is about asking questions, not about dogmatic answers. Is that the answer? There are, that there are no answers? Claiming to have answers is viewed as impolite. On life's ultimate questions, it is much more socially acceptable to suspend judgment. And that also is true. We, nobody wants to be told, you know, ultimately, if you don't believe in Christ, you are destined for an eternal lake of fire because you are a sinner and you have broken God's laws. But again, God's laws are, they don't apply to me because I don't believe in them. Whatever, I, I'm, I still don't know where that belief came from, where if you don't believe something is true, then it must not be true. But it probably most likely has to do with postmodernism, postmodernism and just narcissism, flat out narcissism. You think that you're so powerful that if you don't believe something to be true, then it must not be true. That's just not how the world operates for anybody. Uh, we are not our own God. Uh, but John, but in uh, Matthew twelve thirty, Jesus deals with this uh, attitude of not wanting to judge. He says, Matthew twelve thirty, he that is not with me is against me. So if you're not with Christ, Christ is saying you're against him. Jesus didn't say if you're not with me, then you know that's okay. That's your truth. If you want to come back to me, you know, it makes no difference. You no, know, Jesus is saying, if you are not with me, you are against me. So if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Christ, you, if you are not born again, Jesus himself says, you are against me and I'm against you. You are at war with Christ. Elsewhere, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says that if you don't fall on the stone and are broken, if you're not repentant, if you're not willing to humble yourself and come to him and, and beg for mercy and forgiveness, Jesus then says, then this, then if you don't fall on the stone and are broken, then the, this stone, talking about himself, will fall on you and grind you to powder, meaning you will suffer a thorough judgment. There is no coming back from the ultimate judgment of Christ. And God said he has committed all judgment into Christ's hands. So if you reject Christ, you reject God. There's no other way to God but through Christ. So to pretend that if, you know, it's not anybody's place to judge you, that's, that's just not true. Because you're already under condemnation, John three seventeen through eighteen, Jesus talks about how if you don't believe on Him, you're already condemned. Uh, and then John fourteen six, He says He's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. Reason number eight, uh, Doctor McFarland gives for why millennials are leaving the Christian faith. He says the rise of a fad called atheism. And Psalm 14.1, I think, sums up atheism best, that uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I think the other half of that verse kind of exposes why people want to believe that there is no God. It says, they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. And I think that's why people want to say in their mind, in their heart, hey, there's no God, I can do it out. Because they do, they're doing abominable works, they're corrupt, and they don't do anything good. They don't want to. They don't want to even think about the fact that God will judge them.
reason number nine that um, Dr. McFarlane gives, he says, our new God, tolerance be thy name. Tolerance today essentially means because my truth is well my truth, no one may ever question any behavior or belief I hold. This standard has become so ingrained that it is now impossible to rationally critique any belief or behavior without a backlash of criticism, which is exactly true. How dare you tell people that they cannot just love whoever they want in a, in a same-sex relationship? Or how dare, you, how dare you tell anybody that they can't just fornicate and sleep with whoever they want to sleep with? How dare you tell anybody that they can't just look at uh, pornography or, 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 or cheat on their spouse or divorce for any frivolous reason that they want? All these things are, you know, you're not, today it's, it's impolite to even offer any kind of critique, any kind of, uh, any kind of constructive criticism to anybody because you're just seen as being judgmental and just wanting to conform people to your way of thinking. Now, there is a form of judgmentalism where you are taking your own laws and you're trying to broaden them out to everybody else. But there are certain objective standards as you can't kill and you can't steal, you can't commit adultery, you're not supposed to be angry, you're not supposed to be prideful, you're not supposed to gossip. All these laws are coming down from God, so we're all held accountable to them. So it's not that we're not supposed to judge, but we're supposed to judge with righteous judgment. It's the judge not lest ye be not judged attitude drags kicking and screaming out of its context. John 7.24 also mentions why we, uh, how we ought to judge. So it's not that Jesus never said, don't judge. He, he actually said, we, we are to judge, but this is what he says. He says, judge not according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So don't just judge based on your, the outward look of what you think it is. I think there's a proverb in the Old Testament that says, don't be the, the, the person that answers the matter before he hears it. It's folly and shame to him. And then there's another one that says that if you're uh, the one who's first in his cause seems just, but his, but his neighbor comes and searches him. So don't just take one opinion. Even the Bible says multiple times throughout that you should take two or three witnesses regarding certain, regarding every matter before you make a final judgment on something. You know, get back up. Don't you know? Do the work and and judge righteously. Don't uh, just judge flippantly or superficially or hypocritically. And so the final reason that he gives for why uh, millennials leave the Christian faith, he says, the commonly defiant posture of young adulthood. As we leave adolescence and morph into adulthood, we all can be susceptible to an inflated, to an inflated sense of our own intelligence and giftedness. And during the late teens and early 20s, many young people feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I didn't. He says I didn't, and I, I did as well. The cultural trend toward rejection of God and other loci of authority resonates strongly with the desire for autonomy felt in young adults. And I think that's true, when, uh, to, especially when you're young and your frontal cortex is not uh, completely developed yet, that you just, <laughs> you know, more f foolishness begets foolishness. So, I mean, when I was 18 and, and younger and, and even in my 20s, I mean, the, the amount of foolish things that I said and did is just, just going to be embarrassing on Judgment Day when you find out all the things that I, <laughs> that I did and said and, and uh, I'm sure many people feel the same way because we are just uh, foolish people when we're young.
and but I mean the same holds true when we get older. If we don't have the truth of God in us, then we are bound to say something and do something foolish, ultimately, which is rejection of Christ as Lord and Savior. But pride and arrogance are things that God hates, and that's something that needs to be taught. Going back to reason number number two, that your parents need to teach you and our leaders, those who are in our lives and who are taking care of us as children, need to teach us that pride and arrogance are folly in God's eyes and sinful in God's eyes. And Jesus gave a parable about pride and arrogance and about those who will be accepted of God and those who will be rejected in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus says, uh, let me get there, Luke 18, 9, Luke 18, 9 through 14. He says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So he was talking to people that thought, hey, you know, I'm a good person. I'm better than this guy over here or this woman over here. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I should be pretty good in God's eyes. So this is a, this is a parable for you if you think this way. Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So God, Jesus is saying here that the publican, the one who didn't say anything about his good works, didn't offer any kind of uh, attributes of himself that would be acceptable to, him, to broader society or ultimately to God. Jesus is saying this man went, da- went back to his house justified rather than the other. And then he says, for everyone that exalteth, exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So if you are not willing to humble yourself enough to realize that you are a sinner, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, that you deserve to be cast into hell for your sins, then God has nothing to say to you other than doing exactly what he will do with you, which is cast you into hell. But if you are willing to humble yourself to realize that you are a sinner, that you need the grace of Christ, that you need the love of God, that you need the, the sacrifice of Christ and dying on the cross for your sin, that you need a Savior to take away your sins, then you will be exalted. Not in the sense that you'll be puffed up and lifted up above everybody else, but that you'll be saved and be elevated to ruling and reigning with Christ because you'll be one with Him, as every believer who has ever believed in Christ has become one with Him, even reigning now in heavenly places. So these 10 reasons that were given, some good and you know some bad, but still I think they open up our eyes to see why we are in the mess that we are in and why millennials, and not just millennials, but everybody who claims to be saved that ends up leaving the faith, usually it comes down to uh, moral issues or, or people that they, saw, they see as being hypocritical, hypocritical or things like that. But ultimately speaking, ultimately speaking, we have to remember that, like I read at the beginning, First John 2.19, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have stayed with us. But because they weren't, they went out. So if you are truly saved, you will stay in the faith. You won't abandon the faith. Anybody who truly professes faith in Christ and, and, and possesses that faith, they will remain to the end. 
So thank you for listening today and we will see you on the next Dulas deliberation.